Well, there are times when um, we come to worship, and you can ask any preacher or worship leader, excuse me, one of the most difficult things to do for you that's preparing all week for this service is to worship yourself. And uh, this morning, um, Michelle, and that last song, uh, Jeanette, uh, really brought me to a place of true worship. Well, I want to ask you a question. I'm going to start this way. What do, you, what do you think of my cool shades? Right? I mean, they're, they're cool, right? I mean, it may seem weird uh, for all of us, except those of you who are, who are in jazz bands, uh, to wear sunglasses indoors. But for the unsighted blind person, this accessory will soon make perfect sense. A special pair of shades that can deliver the gift of sight is now in the developmental stage. It's called Argus. It's named after the mythological Greek god who has 100 eyes. Now, this innovative system can help blind people to see by providing them with basically an artificial retina. Here's how it works. A small video camera is mounted on a pair of sunglasses. This camera is connected to the damaged photoreceptors on the patient's retina, photoreceptors known as rods and cones. Most of you know that from sophomore biology. Then the images come from the camera that come from the camera pass through the implant and stimulate the photoreceptors, which transmit signals to the brain and through the optic nerve. I mean, that's pretty cool, isn't it? I mean, that's amazing that this is in progress. Now, this amazing technology drives me to a verse from our text this morning, a verse that you heard Michelle read. Suddenly, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. Now, according to researchers at the 2017 meeting of the Association for Research in Vision and Ophthalmology, these artificial retinas have been successfully implanted in six patients, allowing them to see light and to detect motion. What an amazing innovation. However, and Jeanette referred to this in her prayer, These cameras don't do much for us when we're struggling with forms of darkness that have nothing to do with degenerated rods and cones. Maybe our personal darkness comes from depression. The highest rate of suicide is during the holidays, and there's a higher rate of suicide during this time of COVID than we've ever seen before. Disillusionment, doubt, Struggles with the pandemic in our world today, with racial unrest. Perhaps a loss of job or deteriorating relationship. Our economy in a free fall. Maybe it has something to do with nothing to look forward to. No contribution to make. No one to love. A couple of weeks ago, uh, Sherry got a call late one evening 
uh, from a friend, and um, it was obviously that she was in great distress. Sherry and I got in the car, drove over to her house, and we found her on her couch, kind of in this fetal position. You remember that, honey? And um, she was in a real dark place, very depressed, very discouraged, very disillusioned about life, about everything she was experiencing with her family, her job, and everything else. Uh, We prayed with her. We listened to her. We ministered to her the best way we could. But she said one thing that I'll never forget. She said, I feel like I'm in complete darkness. Now, she is on her way to healing. She's getting help and she's getting ministry. But um, I wonder if you've ever been in a place like that where you know that type or that level of darkness. In our text today, the prophet Isaiah knew the deep and disorienting darkness of despair when he wrote Isaiah chapter 9. The children of Israel had known crushing oppression, defeat at the hands of her enemies, yet Isaiah writes of hope, that's the first candle in our Advent wreath, and light. And that hope and light came in the person of the coming Messiah, Jesus Christ. Listen to these words from Isaiah as the Lord gave him this prophecy in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 2 through 7. This is the word of the Lord for the people of the Lord at Grace Community Church. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. What a promise that must have been to the Israelites, right? You will enlarge the nation of Israel and its people will rejoice. They will rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest and like warriors dividing the plunder. For you will break the yoke of their slavery and lift the heavy burden from their shoulders. You will break the oppressor's rod just as you did when you destroyed the army of Midian. The boots of the warrior and the uniforms bloodstained by war will be burned. They will be fuel for the fire. Listen to this, verse 6. For a child is born to us. A son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of heaven's armies will make this happen. When the Messiah was born in Bethlehem, the world was introduced to a brand new way of seeing, new eyes, similar to what Argus is hopefully going to produce in the future. Jesus' birth marked a new era in human history, one which injustice, selfishness, and violence were replaced by justice, righteousness, and peace. At least that's the track that God wants us to be on. But like new forms of seeing, like Argus, It has taken us quite a while to adjust what I would call Jesus' eyes. 
Jesus' eyes. The gift that God wants to give us more than anything else this Christmas is Jesus' eyes. And when you start looking through his eyes, everything changes. You see people in a different way. You see your enemies in a different way. You see creation in a different way. And even you see your pain and suffering in a different way. Now, according to Isaiah's vision, to have the Messiah's eyes, Jesus' eyes, it means four things. And you heard me read those a moment ago. The first is this. To share the vision of a wonderful counselor. To share the vision of a wonderful counselor. You hear the word counselor and you see someone coming alongside you, putting their arm around you and leading you, guiding you to a new place, a new destination. Similar to what Michelle shared this morning, Sherry and I have experienced such a tragedy. As you know, in 1989, our 10-year-old son Tyler uh, was hit by an automobile on his bicycle and he was killed. Um, I'll never forget that. It's in me. It'll never change. Although the promise of God and the hope that we have in God is that one day we will see our beloved son once again. But as a result of that tragedy, we knew that we were in serious trouble as a family. Uh, myself, Sherry, uh, our 16-year-old daughter, Tammy, and our 13-year-old son, Nathan. So we started going to a family counselor in Lakewood, Colorado. His name was Perry Ferris. Sherry remembers him well. He was one of the most important people in our life, uh, in our lives during that time. Well, we had gone to see him for several months, and what we found out with Perry was that he was able to see things in our lives that we couldn't see. That's a wonderful counselor, right? We we're able to, he was able to see things and perceive things that we couldn't perceive. So I remember about nine months into it, um, uh, Perry pulled me aside after our counseling ses session and he said, uh, Dwayne, in your denomination in the Covenant Church, how do you move from church to church? I said, well, in our denomination, every pastor is autonomous and every church is autonomous. So uh, just like we're doing now with our search team, right? Uh, we are looking for the correct marriage. We're looking for the right marriage, the right partner. And I said, that's how we do it in the Covenant Church. And he said to me, and I'll never forget these words, he said, you need to find a way to get to another church. Nothing wrong with your church, but you're losing your son. You're losing your 13-year-old. You're losing Nathan. Perry was able to see something that as much as Sherry tried to be good parents during that time, he was seeing something that we couldn't see. There are times that we simply can't see clearly and we have to ask our Heavenly Father to grant us Jesus' eyes eyes to see. And that includes not just those that we love, but includes our enemies as well. A wonderful counselor gives us a fresh new perspective on our enemies. Listen to what the scripture says. These are words from the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 43 to, 43 to 45. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Okay, that's what all world religions teach except for Christianity. But I say to you, Jesus said, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. 
I mean, there is nothing more counterintuitive than to tell someone they're to love their enemy. I mean, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said everything is upside down. Everything is different. The first shall be last. How silly is that? The rich shall be poor. Oh, really? Is that true? The happy will be sad. That doesn't make any sense. And love the ones that hate you? I mean, in order to live this way with our enemies, quite honestly, we have to have different way of seeing things. We have to have Jesus' eyes. I remember a friend of ours uh, that was at our church in Hope. This is way back in 2001 when we were still in the strip mall, still trying to figure things out. And uh, Todd was, uh, he had a part-time job at the uh, then Chase Field. Was it then? No. Which is it now? It's Chase Field. Bank One Ballpark. Remember when it was Bob, okay, before they renamed it. So Bank One Ballpark. And uh, he had a job there in 2001, the year that the uh, Diamondbacks won the World Series, right? It's a lot of excitement. So it's one of the World Series games. He's working in the, uh, uh, the pro shop selling goods. And they're just flying off the shelves. Gonzalez jerseys, hats, you know, everything was bats, you know, they're just flying off the shelves. They're running out of things. And the people in line, long line, people are getting angry and upset. And they're starting to yell at each other and yell at Todd, the cashier, right? And it was just crazy. And he saw about five people behind. He said there was a, a, a woman there, a girl, actually, a girl who was dressed, and this is 2001, goth, all black. She had all the tats and the metal in her face and her everywhere, you know, purple hair, the whole deal, you know. And he's looking back there and he said, oh, great. Now I'm going to have to deal with her, right? And so he's dealing with all these angry customers. And finally she steps up to, the, she says to Todd, she said, you know what? I just want to tell you how amazing you have been to these customers. Everybody's been angry and upset, but you have been so solid. And so, she said, if I didn't know any better, I would say that you were a Christ follower. And he said, yes, I am. She said, well, so am I. I just want you to know how much I appreciate it. <laughs> you know what? We need different eyes, don't we? We need Jesus' eyes. We can't figure out who our enemies are by the way we see with our eyes. We need Jesus' eyes. I mean, that's a whole new path to walk. And it's one that leads us to God. We need this counselor that can help us see each other in a different way. So Sherry and I, two years ago, were given a gift at Christmas of going to a play. Where was that? Was that in Phoenix or Mesa? Oh, anyway, she doesn't know what I'm talking about. So yeah. Uh, so we went to this play, and it was entitled All is Calm. Anybody ever heard of that? All is Calm. Awesome. Awesome. It was introduced in 2018. What it is is a play about the Christmas Eve truce of 1914. World War I, right? All is calm. And, and you remember the story. Uh, there was a time during World War I when soldiers confronted each other from their respective trenches. On one side were the Germans, on the other side were the British, the Scottish, and the Americans. It was Christmas Eve, and a German soldier was heard singing Stille Nacht, or Silent Night in German. British soldiers began to sing back in English, Scottish soldiers sang. We don't know how they sang. They sound different than everybody else, right? Soon, both sides were singing, and an unofficial truce was declared, and the soldiers under white flags joined each other in no man's land, and they celebrated Christmas together. When they returned to their respective sides, they wouldn't fire on each other any longer. The enemy had a face, 
and it looked like theirs. The troops had to be replaced on each side because instead of firing at each other, they would fire over each other's heads. Christmas has a way of doing that. It breaks down the barriers. It makes us more aware of our kinship. It gives us different eyes. Jesus' eyes when we look at our enemy through him. Our wonderful counselor says, here is a way to look at your enemies, a brand new way. Jesus on the cross, what did he say? Extraordinary things that you would never expect. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Are you kidding me? Is that what he said? And that thief on the cross, and by the way, they're known as thieves on the cross, but they were more than thieves. You were not crucified for being a thief. You're only crucified for murder. And these murderers on the cross, as Jesus exchanged his heart with them, one of them said, Lord, remember me when you get to heaven. And Jesus said, today you will be in paradise. Jesus looked at this man in a way that no one else had ever looked at him. He looked at him with eyes of forgiveness and compassion. We need to see with Jesus' eyes, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Here's a second thing we find in our text. This new vision gives us the ability to perceive the activity of a mighty God. (laughs) To perceive the activity of a mighty God. Now sometimes it's hard to see a mighty God of the Messiah when we keep him confined to being an adorable baby. And we all love baby Jesus, right? How many of you, and if you did, this is a time of confession along with me. How many of you have seen Talladega Nights, Ricky Bobby, okay, right? He he doesn't like the grown-up Jesus because the grown-up Jesus says things that we don't want to hear. He likes the cute little baby Jesus, the sweet little baby Jesus because there's no condemnation there, right? There's no judgment there. And, And, but sometimes we forget that he grew up to be our mighty God, Instead of a mighty God that can save and transform and completely change lives, we keep him packaged in a manger. But remember this, when you are doing battle with sin in your own life, with a setback, with a rejection, with a disappointment, with a crushing loss, you have a mighty God riding in front of you. Remember Moses. A pillar of cloud by day represented God. And a pillar of fire by night. God, your mighty God, is going before you. Exodus 14, 13 and 14. Listen to these words. Do not be afraid, God said. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring to you today. He was speaking this to Moses and the Israelites. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. What a promise to God's people. The enemy that you see today, I will take care of that enemy. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. Our mighty God is fighting for you. God says, I will fight the battle. I am mighty to save. God told Moses, because of my mighty hand, I will set your people free. With Jesus' eyes, We see a new reality of our God in heaven. He is mighty to save. The text says the passionate commitment of the Lord of heaven's armies will make it happen. It'll happen for you. He is mighty to save. That's when we see God through Jesus' eyes. And then there's a third thing that we read in our text, and it's so amazing. It's a clear vision 
of our everlasting Father. Now, we've talked about this in our last, our last study in 1 John. Um, God is not an absentee Father. He is not an abusive Father. Some of you have experienced that, unfortunately. Instead, He is a close and caring and attentive Father, right? He is our Abba, Daddy, a term of intimacy. He promises that He will care for you. This everlasting Father. He will be your Father forever. Remember we talked about this in 1 John, that uh, new life or the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God right now starts immediately when you say yes to Jesus and it lasts forever. Our everlasting Father. Matthew 6, 26, we read these words. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? I mean, God sees you. He is your heavenly Father. He doesn't want to give you snakes and scorpions and rocks. He wants to give you all good things. Jesus promises that he will meet your needs. Not all your wants, but he will meet your needs. Now, this time of year, uh, in every church that Sherry and I have served, uh, there's been some kind of let's give back to those who have less, right? We're doing that with missionaries. We're doing that with, what is it, ICS? Yeah, we're, we're, we're doing, so the, our church is doing a lot of those kinds of things. We used to do Operation, uh, what was it, Christmas Child, the boxes? Yeah, Christmas boxes and different things throughout the year. So, and so Sherry and I always come to this time of year and, and we say, okay, what do we want to do? We have the most incredible, generous God that's given us so much. I mean, we came to Arizona 20 years ago with nothing because of my gambling addiction. I mean, we had nothing. We got here with about 80 bucks, right? And yet God has been so generous to us over these last 20 years. So we say, Lord, what do you want us to do with our gift this year? How do you, and many times we give it to our local church that, that really matters, or we give it to missions, uh, some, you know, Congo kids, some way. Well, we, we recognize God's generosity in such a way that we can't help but give back. We have more than we need. We said that a couple weeks ago, right? Can you say that out loud? We have more than we need. I'm not sure you believe it. Let's say it again. We have more than we need. And we do. We do. And because of that, because of his rich generosity to us, we can be generous to others. He is our everlasting father. He will always be our father. He's not going anywhere. Finally, the eyes of Jesus helps us to see the world from the perspective of the Prince of Peace. The Prince of Peace. The mission of Jesus was to bring peace to the world. It's still promised. It's still yet to come. We know in our world today, I mean, at any given moment in our history, there's been over 100 to 1,000 uh, wars going on in the world. We're never, we're never going to know freedom from war. I, I've got a, a list. I, I didn't bring it with me, but I've got a list of every president of the United States at his inaugural address somewhere addresses the fact that now we're going to have peace. <laughs> after the Civil War, Abraham Lincoln said, now, now we're going to have peace. Woodrow Wilson after World War I, right? A after every war, you know, now we're finally going to, no, no, it's just not going to happen. But Jesus promised 
that he is the prince of peace. And we can have those eyes of a peacemaker. Now, when he said there's going to be peace on earth, he was not talking about necessarily the cessation of hostilities, although that can happen, it will happen in the future, but a deeper, truer function. The promise of peace looks like this. It looks like peace with God. Okay, so we are no longer at enmity with God when we say yes to Jesus because that wall of hostility between us and God has been obliterated by what Jesus did on the cross. Our sins are forgiven and God looks directly at us and sees us as holy and perfect and righteous through Jesus. So we are at peace with God. But then the promise is also that we have the peace of God, okay? Lay down by those gentle waters in that gentle field, uh, that the peace of, we actually feel peace in our lives. We feel a sense of, okay, I am his, he belongs to me, he is my Abba, and that will never change, and that brings peace in my soul. But then there's also the peace from God. And that's the peace that we give to each other. Uh, The lion lays down with the lamb. Uh, We have peace with each other in the midst of a time of trying to figure out racial reconciliation. We're divided over politics. I mean, for heaven's sakes, we're divided over masks. People say, there's non-mask people and mask people. That's ridiculous. And here, we're trying to find peace in this world with these new eyes, and, and we just can't find anything in our country, in our world, that says, this is where we need to be going. It says in Romans 12, 18, if possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Is there someone in your life that you need to make peace with? As far as all Christians are concerned, this is the commandment from Romans 12, 18. As possible as it is, as, as anywhere it's possible for you, you need to make peace with all men. Now, as you gather at your homes for Christmas, many gifts will be opened. Ask God for this gift above all else, the gift of Jesus' eyes. I want to close with this story. Most of you know the story about Corrie ten Boom. Uh, During World War II, uh, she was, and her family were hiding Dutch Jews, and they were apprehended in prison. She and her sister Betsy, her rest of her family were killed. And they were in this, um, well, they were in this terrible place called Ravensbrook, a place where Jews were systematically killed and tortured. Finally, when she was released after the war was over, she and her sister, she went on this speaking tour, went around talking about how that God's love sustained her during this time. And, and that she made a very strong point of saying, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and to just forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And she said, this is a promise for every one of you listening to my amazing story about how God protected me during this time at Ravensbrook. Ravensbrook. After one of her talks in 1947, a man walked up in a trench coat and a brown hat. And she recognized him. He was one of the guards at Ravensbrook. He was one of the men that tortured her and her sister. He was one of the men who killed many of the Jews that were in that camp. 
And he came up and he said, Fraulein, thank you for your talk. I have recently become a Christ follower, a Christian. And when you said that verse from 1 John 1, 9, I was once again so grateful. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I just want to thank you and ask you if you would forgive me. And he stuck out his hand. She stood there frozen. She said, it seemed like an eternity. With all her heart, she hated this man. The visions of all the things that he did to her and Betsy and all of the other prisoners, the women prisoners, she was just frozen. And finally, she just basically just whispered one simple prayer. Lord Jesus, help me. And she reached out her hand and she grabbed the man's hand and she said, when I did, I felt the warmth of the Spirit of God forgiving him, and listen, forgiving me for washing away my sin. For the first time, and I don't even know how this is possible, she saw this man with Jesus' eyes to share the vision of a wonderful counselor, to see the activity of a mighty God, to have the clear vision of our everlasting Father, to see the world from the perspective of the Prince of Peace. Jesus' eyes. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Heavenly Father, sometimes your word confronts us with... um, thoughts and ideas that just don't make any sense to us. We don't know how it's possible, if it's possible to forgive our enemies because it's so foreign, so counterintuitive to each and every one of our lives. But Father, you have made it clear that when we start seeing people through the eyes of Jesus, everything changes. We see that X factor in their lives. We see that God is moving in their lives. We see a change in their lives. And it changes us. So Father, how much we desire to come into this season of Advent and this Christmas season with new vision, clearer vision, Jesus' eyes. Father, I desire that so much for myself. I desire that so much for my family. And I desire it so much for this church that we would approach this season differently with Jesus' eyes. And I pray this in the precious name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen.